Every Day is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union with two locations in Mankato since 1934. It pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA more at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org. Good morning. For Every Day is Earth Day today, we are talking with Professor Joshua Rhodes, who is a research scientist at the University of Texas in Austin studying energy systems. Good morning, Dr. Rhodes. Morning. Well, Dr. Rhodes, you are in Texas. And as we know, Texas had some issues when there was some, oh, weather, some bad weather. <laughs> and essentially, yeah. you had a giant blackout. I can't remember the year that was now. But tell me what yeah. happened there. Yeah, so Winter Storm Uri, as it's you know commonly known, you know hit Texas in February of 2021, and it resulted in our you know island electricity grid down here you know losing or partly losing power for about four days. I was myself was one of those 12 million Texans who lost power for four days, um, and it was you know not a situation I would uh, wish anyone to be at. So I mean. At a high level, what happened is, you know, we had a winter storm come in. It hit all 254 counties of Texas at the same time. And the same time matters because with electricity, you have to match supply and demand in real time. And so everybody wanted heat at the same time. So everybody wanted energy for that heat. And then at the same time, we lost about half of our power plants because they froze or couldn't get fuel. So we ended up in a situation where we had a lot of people wanting energy and we did not have enough to go around. I think here in Minnesota, we were kind of chuckling and said, how does that happen? Because, you know, we are obviously prepared for the cold yeah. weather. So we thought, wow, it's crazy for you guys because you get like a half an inch of snow and it's disaster, I think. Yeah, Texans <laughs> on Ice is a funny show to watch. I mean, essentially, <laughs> you... And that, that, that is true. And so, you know, our grid is built for the summer, right? We're built for 100 days over 100 degrees. And so my response to other folks who have asked about that is like, yeah, I mean... I'd like to see how your grid would do for 100 days of 100 degrees. It would probably struggle in ways that, you know, our grid struggled when it was so cold outside. You know, I, I can relate because we're at the radio station and during we had some very, very hot, hot days over 100 degrees. Mm. And the air conditioners went out in our transmitter building, which meant our transmitter went out. So we have the opposite yeah. problem with the heat as you do with the cold. And you are yeah. doing research on the growing demand for renewable energy and concerns about mm -hmm. wildfires and other grid related risks. So let's talk about how safe or how well put together is the energy grid? And do we all need to be concerned or do some of us need to be concerned? Yeah, no, that's a great question. You know, the grid is, one way to think of it is the grid is actually one of the largest machines out there, right? You know, the same wires that are supplying electricity in Florida, you know, are connected to wires in Maine. And the same in, you know, Arizona go all the way into British Columbia, British Columbia, Canada, you know, and so we it, the grid is actually quite a large and sprawling machine. And so we need to make sure that that grid is able to, you know, do its job in a safe way. But one of the things about the grid is, you know, we've been coasting kind of on the grid of the past few decades for a while. And, you know, not not everything lasts forever. And so in some areas where we've seen parts of the grid wear out, like that that hook on that transmission line in California that that after 50 years wore out and dropped that line and sparked those those wildfires or whenever we have, a, you know, hurricanes, uh, you know, hit the hit the Gulf Coast states or tornadoes come through Tornado Alley. You know, there's a lot of that infrastructure out there that, you know, was designed for a was designed for, you know, past weather and, you know, a past climate, but we're, we're moving into a new one. 
So what are your thoughts and suggestions? What can we do? Because yeah. I just had a recent conversation with someone who w was talking about infrastructure for trying to create more bike-friendly mm -hmm. areas and talked about how the, the entire infrastructure for years has been made for cars. And so that's all got to yeah. change. So it sounds like the same thing needs to happen for electrical power. Yeah, so... Yeah, no, exactly. And so, you know, the, the grid of the past, the way we generated electricity was essentially we would burn things. We would burn things like coal, we'd burn things like natural gas. Um, and we were able to build those power plants close to where the people, you know, consumed that energy. The new sources of energy that we're going after, things like wind and solar, are not always located close to where the people, you know, are consuming that energy. And so we, we have to build out other parts of the system, namely the transmission se uh, sector, you know, to move that energy from where it's produced and consumed. And on some levels, that can, you know, alleviate some of the issues associated with, you know, pollutants and people breathing cleaner air and and that kind of thing. But it does it can open up, you know, if the grid is spread out over longer distances, it can open up more parts of it to, you know, come under uh, distress. And so if we're going to you know build a new grid in the future while also increasing the amount of energy that we're consuming as population grows we electrify parts of our economy that we haven't had in the past you know we're not only going to have to produce more energy but we're going to have to you know produce it in different places and make sure that we can move it around how possible is that i mean we're talking billions and maybe trillions of dollars to make all these yeah. changes so how does how do you even start to try and make changes like that yeah, no, that's a great question. And and actually, if you were to replace all of the power plants, all of the lines, all of the transformers, everything today, it would cost about $5 trillion to do so. So it is a trillion dollar problem. But, you know, we're constantly investing billions of dollars into this system because it's growing, you know, think, things break, things get old, they have to be replaced. And we can evolve the grid because we've done it before. We've done it before from when all grids were small and, you know, kind of at the city level to air, to to now where there are, you know, grids span, you know, multiple states and, you know, across uh, continents in, in some areas. And so, you know, we've we've evolved the grid before and we're going to continue evolving it. It's just we need to w with our you know new plans and new technologies, we need to plan for that and make sure it happens. And and just like with your you know bike lane analogy, you know, sometimes you build the bike lanes where you can and then try to connect them later. And in some cases, you know, that's kind of how the grid works, too. Sometimes you build places where you can, you know, and then connect them later and then you, you can end up with a robust system. So it's a little bit like retrofitting. Yeah, a lot of the grid, you know, a lot of the advancements of the grid are going to be retrofitting existing power lines and existing right of ways. But it is also going to be building a lot of new stuff, too. Such as? Well, things like new power plants. You know, if we electrify, if we electrify cars and heat in some areas and, you know, other and we reshore manufacturing, that's going to be, you know, use a lot of, of electricity. And so we're going to have to build more power plants. And we're we're currently building different types of power plants than we've built in the past. And so we're going to have to, you know, prepare the grid for for that. And yeah, I mean, it's, so we're going to have to we're going to have to build new stuff as well as, you know, maintain and upgrade the existing infrastructure that we that we do have today. Now, you mentioned different types of power plants. I mean, I think there's the coal burning mm -hmm. power plants, the garbage burning power plants, mm -hmm. there's nuclear power plants. And of course, as climate changes is, is here, we talk about wanting to do cleaner things. So what type of power plants are you suggesting? Yeah, so if one cares about if one cares about climate change, carbon emission and the carbon emissions that are driving climate change, then essentially we want to develop the grid to consume more clean power in the future than we have in the past. Because when we burn that natural gas and that coal, it creates, you know, it creates these, you know, um, these these greenhouse gases that are, you know, driving climate change. 
Now, some of the things, a lot of the uh, types of power plants that people think about are things like wind and solar, but of course the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine. And so we do want to make sure that we have enough dispatchable power or power plants that have an on and off switch, things we can turn on whenever maybe we don't have those other, those other resources available. And if you look at, you know, when electricity is being produced, um, I would argue that things like nuclear uh, produce a lot of energy and don't produce a lot of carbon emissions. How you account for things like biomass and, and trash incinerators and things like that can change whether or not you think that they are climate positive or, or negative. But we do know that there are certain things that we currently do, like burn a lot of coal and natural gas and things like that, that do produce those emissions. And so, you know, if we want to move towards a cleaner grid, we need to build more stuff that makes electricity cleanly. And then we also need to build more of the infrastructure that moves that electricity around in a useful way. Because just because the wind's not blowing in one place doesn't mean it's not blowing somewhere else. So where should the infrastructure spending go then? I mean, is it with the clean energy or is it whatever your politician decides? I mean, so how a particular area, you know, gets cleaner energy or evolves, uh, you know, evolves their grid to be uh, to a cleaner state is 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 going to depend on kind of what the resources are available in that in that region. In places like Texas, we have a lot of wind and a lot of solar. In places like the Midwest, maybe have a lot of wind, but maybe not as much solar. And you know, there's just, there's good there's good, the answer is going to be different depending on where you are. But essentially, I I think one of the things that is going to be similar everywhere is we're not only going to need to build those power plants that make sense in that region, but we're going to need to build better connections to other regions that might be able to invest in different types of power plants. So the the, the transmission, the distribution lines, the wires and poles that move that electricity around, I think we're going to need to invest a lot of money there. Where does your interest in this come from? I mean, why it's such a big issue. Yeah. So, I mean, I've, I've always been interested in just innately and in not wasting things. Um, I've wanted to, I've just always wanted to, you know, get the most out of, you know, get the, get, get the most out of the things that we, you know, consume and not, and not be, and not be wasteful. I guess it's one of those, you're taught to clean your plate when you're a kid and you just never forget it. 2021 was the big blackout in Texas because of uh, the cold. Mm-hmm. Is Texas prepared now? I mean, did that wake people up and say, oh, we have to do something or are you still possibly facing another crisis? Yeah, unfortunately we've, I, I think we've probably only really addressed half the problem down here. And so we we had the you know, we had high levels of demand, which cold is going to drive high levels of demand. We could be more efficient. Our homes are way less efficient than 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 states in more uh, northern parts of the country because we don't get that those differences in indoor and outdoor temperature as much as, as y'all do in the in the in the wintertime. And while we have done some work in addressing the power plants that froze, so the intake water and you know the the fueling infrastructure that froze to get um, those power plants operational, one of the things we really haven't addressed is our natural gas system. So our nat- so natural gas provides about forty five percent of the electricity that um, that is generated in in Texas per year, and we have a just in time natural gas delivery system. So we're constantly pulling it out of the ground, processing it, putting it in pipelines, and then consuming it. If any part of that supply chain breaks down, it can result in power plants not getting natural gas. And so while I think we've done a good job on addressing the power plants themselves, we still have yet to uh, tackle the natural gas sector. And so if we have a similar storm, we might end up in a similar situation for slightly different reasons. I'm thinking infrastructure in terms of of power plants and things like that. But what about the communications Mm -hmm. between the different sectors that are all involved in all this? How is that going to play out and how are they all going to get along? Yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of, you know, getting into the idea of the smart grid and things like that, you know, a lot having communications between the 
the sectors of the economy that are providing things like the natural gas or the coal or the other, you know, the fuels that go into the power plants. But then there's also, like, you know, what is that electricity being used for kind of at the at the end user? Electricity's particularly in times of scarcity, is not always going to the most useful um, useful uses. Um, and so making sure that you're or having that information about not only are we going to be able to get fuel for our power plants, but are we going to, do we know that, are, are we able to turn off loads and things like that that aren't, you know, aren't critical and don't need to be running right now? One of the things that we had in Texas is ev every home has a smart meter in Texas. And in theory, we could have turned off, we when we had to roll blackouts, we could have done it home by home, but we don't have the communications infrastructure to actually talk to that many meters at the same time. We can only talk to a few thousand per day, not the millions per day that we would have needed to more gracefully manage those blackouts. Where do you think the worst part of the grid is? There's a certain section of the country where we're in more dire condition than others. Oh, wow. That's an interesting. That's a good question. Um, you know, every 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 part of the grid has its own you know vulnerabilities in california we're seeing a lot of you know on wildfires and in you know along the the coast we see issues with hurricanes and um superstorms and typhoons and other types of of things i mean you know at the end of the day it really but at the end of the day what it really comes down to is like you know are people getting you know the the power that they that they want power outages Power outages are responsible for about $150 billion in lost economic activity in the entire country. And the list of billion dollar disasters is we're getting more and more of them per per year. And so while it's it's hard to say, you know, what part of the country has, you know, a more robust grid than than the other, but we've seen some areas of the grid that have had some pretty spectacular issues in the past couple of years. Where can people go to find out more on what we can do? Because a part of this show, Every Day is Earth Day, we try and provide solutions for mm -hmm. folks to say, you know, this is an issue. What can we do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, there's some great resources like the Department of Energy that, you know, can look at, you know, making your home more efficient or making your home more resilient to, to, to storms or to, you know, changing, you know, climatic conditions. You know, making sure that we kind of the infrastructure that we can that we can change or that um, or that we have sometimes have some bit of agency over like make making sure our homes are insulated and you know can withstand either when it's really hot outside or really cold outside um, that can ease conditions on the grid which can you know make sure that there's enough energy to kind of go around for all but there's also lots of community uh, groups in in different regions that will will honestly will have better insight into the hyper local needs of the of the community and there's a lot of people around this country that are interested in energy and, you know, they're part of those groups. Dr. Rhodes, do you have any research or anything or a book or anything we could refer to? I mean, obviously you've been doing this for a while, studying energy systems. Yeah, so so I do teach, I, I'm teaching an introduction to energy technology and policy executive education course in January, which will kind of give a, a broad overview of kind of the energy system and the challenges associated with it through the University of Texas. And I've got colleagues that have, you know, that have written uh, written books. My book's not done yet, unfortunately. <laughs> so I can't, I can't even give you a title on it right now. But um, a colleague of mine, Dr. Michael Weber, has written books, Power Trip, The Story of Energy, things like that, that, that really kind of lay out where how we got to where we are and what are the best ways forward. Anything else you think is important that we should cover or didn't cover? I mean, I think one of the I think one of the big, you know, energy stories that we're going to start seeing um, a lot is how much the electricity sector is going to grow. You know, over the past decade, electricity growth in the U.S. has been pretty flat, but I think that's about to change. I really do think that, you know, we're about to experience a lot of, of growth from things like, you know, the electrification of transportation, 
data centers training AI models um, on new data streams that are coming in. That's not going to be a small amount of, of energy consumed. And while it has been sometimes hard to invest in in a in a sector that has been stagnant at best, I think it's about to start growing into the future. Do you have a website that we could look at that has some of your research or maybe some of your things you're looking at? Absolutely. Um, so WeberEnergyGroup.com. W-E-B-B-E-R? Correct. Yes. Dr. Rhodes, I want to thank you for talking with us. Dr. Joshua Rhodes, a research scientist at the University of Texas in Austin, studying energy systems and talking about the energy grid. Thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Okay, bye-bye. Thanks. Everyday is Earth Day is supported by Minnesota Valley Federal Credit Union. With two locations in Mankato since 1934, it pays to bank where your part owner member NCUA. More at mnvalleyfcu.coop. And Every Day is Earth Day is also supported by members of the Executive Board of the South Central Minnesota Clean Energy Council. Find out more at smcleanenergy.org.